You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I most certainly did. I had a blast enjoying a bunch of Vox and Overhops, the Vox and Hops and Overhop Canada Collaborative Double Dry Hop New England IPA, which came out this past weekend. I am just so stoked and blown away of how great this beer turned out. Massive thanks and massive shout out to the beautiful humans at Overhop Canada for making this beer in honor of the Vox and Hops podcast second anniversary. I, I am just super stoked about it. There are still a few of these brews left out there across the city in specialty craft beer stores. You should absolutely go and grab some soon because they will be gone. Today's Vox and Hops episode is brought to you by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal is Montreal's premier metal promoter. When there isn't a global pandemic happening, they put on a bunch of sick metal shows throughout the year. And they also put on one of North America's best metal festivals. And trust me when I say this, people, it is the truth because I have played just about every festival in the world. And Heavy Montreal is up there with the best of them. I'm super stoked to have Heavy Montreal all behind the Vox and Hops podcast. On today's episode, I am with Bone Snapper the Cave Troll and Ballsack the Jaws of Death of Guar. Get ready, people. Get ready to laugh. This is Vox and Hops episode number 205. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today, I am with Bone Snapper, the Cave Troll, and Ballsack, the Jaws of Death of Guar. I am uh, super, super stoked to be with you both. This is a true honor. It is absolutely amazing. Um, let's start with a simple yet complex question that I like to throw at all my guests recently. How have you been coping with this beautiful year of 2020? Ah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm extremely antisocial, so not having to see anybody has been like a dream come true for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I'm the cave troll, so hanging out in the cave. Woo! <laughs> with that being said, uh, you guys, you guys have been extremely busy connecting with your fans online, which which I think is amazing. A lot of bands have been dropping the ball on this aspect of being in a band, staying in contact when you cannot tour. You guys picked it up extremely early. Talk to me through that, the the reason why you guys start just started doing all these live streams, these YouTube lives, and uh, just give me some info on that. <laughs> I mean, if we can't be there in person to kill them, we have to find some way to make their lives miserable. <laughs> so we spread the hate over the, the Internet. You know, we, we have to keep the, the filth going, you know, pour it out. Over the over your computers, over your phones, every way we can, you know. We just, but we really wish we could get our hands on our fans and really connect with them, you know. Quite frankly, we've been trying to kill people over the internet for a while, but we were we were too busy touring. So this just made us <laughs> back into the mainframe, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I love it. 
I love it. <laughs> what what have you guys learned going through the internet? What what are some of the, the early struggles that you had dealing with killing people over the internet versus killing them in person? Oh, well, digital people, it's it's not quite as rewarding, I'll say yeah. that. Just to hit the delete button, but yeah, we want that visceral joy of actually having the blood on our hands, you know. It's not as much fun just watching the pixels fade out. Yeah, getting covered in pixels is eh. It's not so great. <laughs> Absolutely. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Do you guys have craft beer over there that we're going to share today? We do. We got, we got lots of craft beer. Um, we, you may not know this, but we own our own bar in Richmond, Virginia. The, I do know that. The Gore Bar. And Gore Bar has its own beer, which is made by a champion, uh, champion brewery in Charlottesville, Virginia, and they make the crushed pills destroy to the wonderful pills in here. That's amazing. Not bottled, so it's only on draft. We we used to have some uh, Cigar City uh, for the barbecue. Uh, as you can see, this is getting really good right now. Uh, this is almost in peak freshness. It's uh, about to explode, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we that was a seasonal beer. We've never worked out a full uh, a yearly release of canned beer, but uh, that that that's a that's definitely a dream. Yeah, because it's it's super dope. I, I, Cigar City's been making you guys a bunch of beers for barbecue over the years. Uh, talk me through that relationship, how that all came together, how that started. How did you end up getting Guar beers for your barbecue? Yeah, Cigar City offered to um, help us sponsor barbecue, and they came on as partners early on. I think on the second or third one, and we uh, they started brewing a different beer for us each year, like the different barbecue brews. And you know, we had the odorous ale. And the, uh, which one was this? The Kilsner. We've had like, I think, three or four different. I, I, I think just the three the Gorbachev yeah. Brew, the Kilsner, and the Odorous Ale. Uh, there might have been another one. Uh, I, I stumbled across another one called Impaled Pale Ale, which is just a, a sick, sick name. That was Rob Chalmers. He was a home brewer, and he, he did the mm. first Guar beer. And then he let us have the recipe, a kind fan, and we, we didn't kill him. Uh, somebody else made the name <laughs> Impaled Ale from us. Yeah, the Impaled Ale was already. So when we went, Cigar City t- took the recipe and put out the first barbecue brew uh, with Rob's recipe. And then we've just taken it from there. Uh, we haven't been doing the barbecue the last couple of years because of uh, all kinds of reasons, but... Uh, We're talking with Cigar City about doing another beer for 2021. Very cool. And they just supported us in our live stream, so that's we won't kill all of them yet. <laughs> they are a sick ass brewery, and I, I I love them. And anytime I go through Florida, I try to get my hands on some. That's for sure. Uh, how is that Pilsner that you're drinking right there? It's Pills Destroy, and say the name again, Crush please. Pills Destroy. Uh, there you sound go. Crush Kill Destroy. Uh, I actually love this. It's super drinkable. To even I like it, and I like crappy beer. <laughs> you know, if you want a craft, you know, PBR upgrade. <laughs> awesome, awesome. On my side, I'm going to be drinking Santa's Slaison from Broken Goblet Brewing Company out of uh, Pennsylvania. This is a uh, just just a, a very cool Christmas themed brew. 
brewed with a whole bunch of stuff. They, this is a adjunct one. It's a uh, holiday saison, but they added some blood orange, some plum, and uh, some spruce to it. So I'm going to crack this open, and I'm going to pick your brains. I'm going to take you back, way back, to your very, very first beer. Do you remember your first beer, guys? That's, that's a punchline to a joke, right? Oh, I remember my first beer. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember my first beer. Uh, uh, <laughs> give me a second. Uh, well, it's so old, you know, yeah. uh, and also from different planets. So, oh, well, you know, the uh, uh, I was going to make a joke about mead because Guar is so old, we only drink the world's oldest fermented beverage, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> People don't like my humor so much. So uh, I think my first beer might have been a Sam Adams. And I know I've, I'm I'm known to like shitty, watery beer, but I really did like that original Sam Adams, and I drank a, a lot of those. So Yeah, Sam Adams was a little bit too frou-frou for me. I was, I was drinking like Milwaukee's Best as my first beer, maybe Black Label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that up here in Montreal and Canada. I had a... Far too many of those on my first few beer excursions out there. How about that very first craft beer, the one that opened you up to the whole world of the craft beer uh, market? Uh, what what really changed your, your ideas about beer? Well, I'll say, I, I'm, I'm going to rewind this. My first beer was a, was a Milwaukee's Best. My first good beer was Sam Adams. And that's when I said, oh, I like, uh, maybe I do like uh, something with, with a little weird taste to it. So... I know that's not a craft beer, but it was my first fruity, you know, kind of not, not a domestic, uh, watery domestic. Yeah. Uh, first one I really loved was the Sam Smith oatmeal stout. Oh. It, was, it was just like a milkshake in a glass. It was, I was like, wow, beer can be like this. It just didn't taste like beer to me. It was great. Oh, yeah. I, I'm a huge coffee drinker. So that one that um, there was that... Uh, Brewery, you'll you'll have to remind this old man. There was a brewery in uh, Portland that uh, hooked up with uh, a, a a coffee place in Portland, and it was an early coffee stout. Uh, oh God, what was it called? Uh, I, I'll think of it. But it was a the first coffee stout I ever had. It would get me so wired up and drunk at the same time. It was perfect for me. So that was my first favorite. <laughs> and also our first times in Europe, that was eye-opening because it wasn't like it was before the craft beer scene started to become a thing, but that every town, every city in, in Germany and Holland, they all made their, they all had their own beer that everybody drank. And oh, Vesmala. You can get it in America now, but I used to bring cases of Vesmala. It's a, it's a Trappist ale. And if you drink like four of them, the, the triples, Oh man, it's got like a hallucinogenic kind of quality to it. I remember like kind of tripping a little bit after four of those. Yeah, it's it's the weird way those and the monks I think still make that that tra that uh that um, what did I just say? <laughs> Vesmal. Yeah, Vesmal. Yeah. And also, I, I fell in love with the the whole uh, you know there's a process of drinking beer. There's a whole ritual to like to um, Hefeweizen. You know how they would pour it completely upside down, have the lemon, then swirling it after you got to a certain point. It was all very, this is the right way to drink beer. You can't drink beer any other way. It has to be drunk like this in this sort of glass that has the name of the beer on it. <laughs> it was like a really 
fell in love with that ritual part of it. It's awesome, and it's it's very cultish, and it fits in with what we do, being extreme musicians, having 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 specific ways of doing things and specific mindsets. It comes in with the artistry of it. Take me back to the first shows that you guys saw. I know it was on another planet in another universe, but what was the first live music experience that you went to go witness as a fan, hoping not to get killed, you know? Well, um... So we were frozen in Antarctica for a long time, but then we were awoken in the late 80s. And first show, rock show I saw on Earth that really made an impression on me was probably the Butthole Surfers in a small club in Richmond, Virginia. It was really like, you know, there were 200 people crammed into a place that held 100. And it was like being on hallucinogenics without having done anything. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, he just stole my answer. <laughs> It was it was actually it was actually <laughs> Guar hadn't let me in yet, so it was uh it was Guar and the Butthole Surfers and it was December seventeenth, nineteen eighty seven. I remember like yesterday. It was uh, a, a life changing experience. Butthole surfers, really. Oh, you were tracking us down trying to get in the band because he, he was a scum dog with us in outer space, but we, we got separated when we came to Earth. Still trying to get my way in. Yeah. He's he's <laughs> he won't go away. It's a truck. Tough, it's a tough room. <laughs> hey, hey, we need those members and bands to 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 help support us and to to carry the weight. And I say that because having played with you and toured with you, and we did some Canadian gigs with Cryptopsy, you guys run a tight ship. And and I really was. Ex- I left that tour. It was only a few dates because we were filling in for Born of Osiris, who uh, missed some dates on that run. But but I was so impressed of how height of a ship you guys run with such a minimal amount of people in the crew it's amazing it's yeah, amazing. the humans in our crew that actually run the the show for us we don't run a tight ship at all we get completely wasted and hang out <laughs> somewhere else and just show up at showtime and destroy people but those humans do so pretty amazing job of setting up and cleaning up after us and making sure that the, the trains run on time as they say it yeah and every time we kill one of them the rest has got to do more, so it just gets tighter and tighter. <laughs> so, and 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 I wish we had done more shows with you guys because one of Osiris. Ugh. Oh, <laughs> well, the best part about our games is that we we pay them in beer, so you know it's pretty cheap. Ah. The uh, let take me to that first time that you were on stage. Do you remember finally being on stage and getting to kill people and and having having that experience? What was that like? Uh, well, I'm an amphibian, so I uh, I, I can regenerate. Uh, the first time I was on stage, I got my head cut off, uh, and uh, that kind of led to a that opened a lot of doors. <laughs> and actually, uh, I don't really kill people on stage. You know, I know the jaws are very intimidating, and they do get in the way of like being intimate with a woman. But most all the deaths that I've caused <laughs> over the years in war have been by accident. <laughs> Um, (laughs) let's talk about this year 2020 you guys haven't been able to tour when you do tend to tour it's it's a very theatrical crafted show which covers a lot of topics that are actually happening in the world and it's actually something that's uh interesting for the fans perspective to go and witness so so what have you guys missed covering that you wish that you could cover but by the time that we're going to be out touring again it hypothetically might be obsolete that that is going to be frustrating to you uh a lot of the stuff we were doing was we were kind of 
I thought we we did it to death. I was kind of sick. It was kind of lazy humor killing Trump. It was just so easy, you know. It's our duty. We have to do it. But it still seemed just too easy. So I'm glad we're going to – I'm kind of glad we got a pause button personally. I don't know about Ballsack, but I I thought it's – you know, for all this, a lot of crap to wash away and then a whole new bunch of stuff for us to kill, that, that's kind of uh, refreshing. That's just almost like every four years you guys get some new material. <laughs> well, Mad Magazine went, went, went belly up, so we got to do something. Absolutely. <laughs> Was there ever a moment that you guys did do something in your shows and you felt that it went too far? Now with retrospect. For us, none, but... Uh... The people who saw it, a lot of people thought our our interactions with John Bonet were a little bit too much for some people. We the the guy uh, what was it the uh, the Charlottesville uh, Charlottesville shooter. Um, not not the not the the guy who drove the 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 car through, but the one uh, in like two thousand was it sixteen? No, two thousand twelve. <laughs> I I don't know the the Charlottesville. Uh, campus sniper we killed him about a week after he came out on stage and killed some people and then we killed him and that was uh maybe too soon people oh yeah princess diana we killed her like right after she was already dead and that got a few boos so i don't know but it's almost your job to shock oh, yeah. and, all and to to push those buttons yeah. <laughs> i love it <laughs> who's that from uh us from uh uh alaska Oh, Sarah Palin? Yeah, Sarah Palin got real mad at us. Oh, yeah, she got odorous kicked off of Fox News because we would kill her on stage. She thought she was special. She didn't know we could Obama really? and Clinton, too, so she thought we were partisan. Thought we were picking on her. Yeah. Really? How did that go down? She, she, she just contacted the network and... Yeah, um, odorous used to be the intergalactic correspondent for the Fox News show Red Eye. It's uh, amazing. And when apparently... That she contacted, or some of her people contacted Greg Gutfeld, the up the people at Fox News, and said, "What the hell is? How do you, can you have this band on there when they're doing killing me in effigy?" And that was the last time Odorous was ever on Fox. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as bad bad press. So, okay, no, no. Which is where I was I was headed next. Is out of all the, the things that you've done in the media over the years, from Jerry Springer to 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 Beavis and Butthead to to everything else. Which one is the one do you think is the most important that made the biggest impact for the career? We're we're like the most infamous band that's never been famous, and and I think we do something stupid, and then I talk to some fan, and they say, "Oh, that's the thing that got me turned on to Guar." So, I mean, <laughs> we've had all these little touches of fame, and and we think they're kind of silly or maybe too sellout, and then it turns some fan onto us. So. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, the Odorous' arrest, uh, that got actually uh, more fans than, you know, any, we, we can't get arrested anymore. So I don't, I don't know. I wish, I wish we could. I wish we could do something offensive enough to get in trouble <laughs> these days. Uh, it's, well, it's so easy now with the, with, with the, the, the left being so nervous now, the right, you can say anything and not get in trouble. The left is who we got to worry about now. So maybe, maybe I'll just <laughs> put my foot, my hoof in my mouth. <laughs> it is a, it is a very modern world and everyone is very sensitive. Yeah. So, so who, who knows what Guar is going to say next? <laughs> we can't wait. 
<laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, something about selling out. Is there actually inner discussions in the group that the, there's moments where you think that doing something is selling out? Is that something that you still contemplate after over 30 years of having a career? We've been trying to sell out ever since we woke up. <laughs> Nobody's freaking buying. That's the goddamn problem. Yeah, we go with all the losers and all the all the good th- all the good people uh, don't want nothing to do with us. <laughs> we, we've done country songs. We've done uh, rock ballads. We've done surf instrumentals. Everything we can to sell out, and no one will buy it. <laughs> Sad, really. We were talking recently about the 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 refusal to take a. a a child molestation song off an album and how it lost us a distribution deal with Warner Brothers. So I guess that's an example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's holding your ground to, to your material. Selling out. I thought, I thought that uh, Baby Dick Fuck would be a huge hit for us. So that's why I stood my ground. I wanted to sell out. I thought that was going to be... That, you thought that was selling out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, according to the Trump supporters, the, that big... Uh, you know, worldwide pedophile ring should have loved that song. Yeah, it'd be huge with the QAnon folks. We were stupid to believe them. <laughs> Let's talk about the 30th anniversary of Scum Dogs of the Universe. You guys just drop a huge, amazing box set. Uh, Take me to that whole planning. I know for Cryptopsy, None So Vile is approaching that 30th anniversary, and I know that. I'm dreading the amount of work that's going to have to go into creating a box set that is worthy of a 30th anniversary for Done So Vile. So take me to put gathering all this stuff and everything that you included in this box set. Well, Scumdogs of the Universe has always been the quintessential gore album. There's so many classic hits on it that people think of as the gore songs. But we were always really disappointed with the way it sounded because, you know, we mixed it in the early 90s and we were all on coke, so it sounds like a... The Coke bench. It's really high endy and crappy, crappy sounding. It's, and to be honest, I haven't been able to listen to it in 30 years. So it, I would cringe every time I would hear the super thin guitar sound on Maggots Are Falling Like Rain come in. And so instead of just doing a box set release, we went and we're like, we want to hear this album the way it was supposed to be, the way we wanted it to sound back then. So we got uh, Ronan Murphy, who is our good friend from richmond virginia who is part of you know he actually hung out at the original slave pit at the dairy and he was friends with all of us back then when it was just starting out and he's went on to become a really accomplished music producer he's worked with king crimson and a bunch of other amazing bands and he was super excited to take on the project and re- just remix the album from from the ground up we didn't add any new tracks or anything we didn't re-record anything it's everything that was on the tape there that you couldn't ever hear before. You just brought it back to life, and it's it's amazing now. As far as the art, uh, well, oh yeah, on that side, uh, I'll tell you. Once again, COVID COVID was good to us. We we were talking about this for quite a while, and we had we had made some steps to doing this. But normally, we're so busy killing humans, we let all this art stuff go out the window. So. Actually, COVID not letting us leave town uh, really helped. We could just focus on this, focus on our record label. This is our, you know, our first. If we if we had had the time that COVID gave us, we probably just would have licensed it to another record company and done an okay job at it. 
but not the loving. We found a lot of good partners. The uh, the original photographer and art director uh, came in and and was the art director for this box set, and uh, it, it was a lot of a lot of good partnerships with this, and we had the time to to do it right. So we're pretty proud of it. Very, very, very cool. I know for for Cryptops, we've spoken about redoing an unsolvile a, a reimagining not re-recording but as you guys did a a remix remastered version of it and it's been very polarizing within our band and worrisome about what the the true fans would think of their cherished album were you guys afraid of that uh, having the 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 old school fans loving that thin guitar sound and now they're hearing it new the way you guys always imagined it were you was that a worrisome thought that you had yeah i mean when somebody hears something for 30 years and they love the songs they become really attached to their version of it you know and kind of blasphemy to mess with it after 30 years but we really felt strongly enough about what uh, what Ronan could do with it and the way we knew the songs were supposed to sound that, you know, we, we knew some people would be disappointed, but luckily the majority of people that hear it are just blown away because they really hear the songs the way they were supposed to be. And it sounds more like Guar sounded live then too. So if you're a real Guar fan, I think it sounds, you know, like Guar sounded at the time. The album to me never sounded like Guar sounded live. So I think if you are a real Guar fan and you saw Guar enough back then, you'd be like, oh, okay. You know, they can listen to both. Very cool. And you guys mentioned that you, re- you released this on your own, which which is amazing. I love that. Cryptopsy was independent from 2012 until just recently. So I know the struggles of, of running stuff independently. T- take me to some of the uh, complications, some of the challenges that you guys had to tackle because it was independent. Uh, well, we hired a bunch of People that aren't fuck-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got time to do stuff right. And we, we have stupid four, six meetings a week. So kill me now. Yeah, we, we're, we're learning to really hate Zoom. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, thank you for being on Zoom with me right now. I, I <laughs> um, You guys always worked really hard. Uh, toured very, very hard. You guys are always on the road um take me to to creating that first guarbecue what what inspired you to have your own outdoor festival well, the barbecue was actually we would have parties back in the early days of war we would call them barbecues and they weren't actually festivals or anything like that and we would do them you know once maybe they weren't a yearly thing but every couple of years we would have a big party at at our slave pit which is where we call our compound in richmond and in 2010 i kind of had the idea of like let's have one of those parties again and so we did we but we did it at like a place called the bike lot which is a kind of a squat here in richmond with a skate park and and we um actually gore didn't even play it our cover band rog played it it was just a lot of fun, and you know, people showed up, and there were kegs, and it was. Fan, it was fans fun. drove from Montana, uh, wow. so well, you yeah. know, we saw the reaction to that, and we were like, "Wow, we should really make this something real." And so the next year, we 
moved it to a water park here in Richmond called Haddad's Lake, which is you got old school 70s, just run down, crazy, anything goes, kind of like, you know, class action park type place exactly so we had it there and we got some real bands in and then it kept growing and growing until finally it was too much work and we were working all year on it not making any money because we were getting us such amazing talent working ourselves to that so yeah we, we couldn't we couldn't kill the people right because we were too busy doing a doing a party <laughs> It's 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 interesting how how a passion can just take over <laughs> so much so much of our lives and and just keep pushing and pushing, uh, but to the point where you're it, when it's no longer fun, it's best to stop. Well, I feel like we grew the brand to the point where it's viable, and we need to find some partners. Yeah. And and COVID really put a kibosh on that too. So we definitely haven't given up on the barbecue. It's just we needed to, yeah, you know, put the do the reset button. You know, take a pause on it. And, we we did that Brocky birthday bash last year, and that was more like the first new barbecue. It was just like a party in a parking lot with super diehard Guar fans, and Sly Menster's human uh, companion was there, and Six Executioners. It was a reunion, and it was really it was more fun than anything. And it was just a party in a parking lot with Rog playing. So that that reminded us our roots. So it's it's supposed to be fun, but if anybody can bring. A touring festival, a barbecue fest across North America, it's you guys for sure, because North America is missing a huge touring festival, in my opinion, a fun one at least, and Guar can do that, I think. We'd love to. So we need to, if any, anyone, promoters out there have got the money, to, they want looking for something to put their energies into, give us a call. <laughs> barbecue Roadshow. <laughs> With Cryptopsy. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, you guys have been doing it for, for so long. Doing it well for so long. So hard. Unrelenting. But why do you still do it? That's that's a question that, that has been circulating in my mind since I booked this interview. Why are you guys still doing it? What keeps you pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to kill you? We humans? have no idea how to do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, well... We talk about it a lot. If, if if the fans didn't like what we were doing, we'd pro- we'd stop because with without anyone to kill, we wouldn't have a job. So that's it. Number one. Number two. There's really nothing else like us. Like I said, Mad Magazine is gone. So uh, there's no ensembles. There's no collectives. We're the only one keeping keeping it going. So it's kind of an obligation too. There's a bunch of bands that that you know have tried. But they're not hitting all the artistic marks that you guys do with the social commentary. And and I think that's what's what is so important for Guar. And and the great musicianship, honestly. Which which often gets overlooked sadly. Oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap this up with one last question, a classic wrap up question at this point. It probably have never happens to you because you guys are, you know, from another universe and, and you've you've been through so much. But it happens to everyone every once in a while. What is your hangover cures? Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean the obvious one that everyone does is just keep drinking. Only <laughs> <laughs> really the only way. Well, just just a, a Bloody Mary. I know it's the most boring answer ever, but it's true. Bloody Mary. Uh, and and a steak. Yeah. Suicide works, too. 
Bone Snapper, the Cave Troll, Ballsack, the Jaws of Death. Thank you so, so much for taking some time to, to sit down with me, talk about your lives, music, and craft beer, of course. It has been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Cheers. I can't wait to come and witness you murder some more people in the future right after this apocalypse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. What a hilarious chat. Super, super cool to hang out with Bone Snapper and Ballsack. Uh, when I started this podcast, I would have never imagined to be interviewing people from the Guar camp. Uh, it is one for the books, and I am very, very stoked about it. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, please go and subscribe to it on the podcast platform of your choice. But not only that, if you would like to help people just like you find and discover the Vox and Hops podcast, the best way to do that and to help me do that is by rating it on that podcast platform and if you can you should write a written review that always always helps more people discover the podcast vox and hops is brought to you by sound talent media i have two more episodes coming at you this week that's right i have an extra one coming this thursday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops heads Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>